This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. The plan is subliminal jihad against the Dimitri. I'm Khaled. And today we're picking up right where we left off with our extremely big boy chapter of Contra, Contra 7. Yes. Which, uh, super sized for a big boy. Very um, super sized. Yeah. Not like Michael Bloomberg. He won't stop you from having super sized meals and big sodas. He's a big boy. He understands that you need. You know. Exactly. That's authentically populist, etc. Yes, exactly. But the most populist thing is like you know, endorsing, like letting people have gigantic, like two liter cokes. That's like true populism, and like trying to take them away is not. And that's I love the getting di- past the superficial. The difference between socialism and yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it's it's proletarian to uh, drink a two liter bottle, uh, but it's service work. If to serve it yeah. is not, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, we are in the wilderness of irony still, um, as you can tell, and uh, you know the, it was a supersized episode, probably part one and part two. People have listened to at this point. And today we're sitting down to go through, I guess, part three and part four, because we already know it's going to be that long. And, you know, this is a, this is a pretty dense history. I think where we left off, we just started talking about the very mysterious Castle Bank and Trust in the Bahamas in the 1970s and how the IRS had discovered that they were essentially a tax-dodging sort of money laundering bank for, to a large extent, uh, wealthy account holders in the United States 
they were trying to duck paying their taxes. And I think we mentioned at the very end, the single largest account depositor in the Castle Bank and Trust was the Pritzker family. You know, we also said that uh, going on uh, both in the narrative of Alan Block's Masters of Paradise and really up to the early 2000s and in a certain sense up to today, one of the two principals of Castle Trust, Burton W. Cantor, uh, ended up pretty much managing the Pritzker wealth, uh, both of the Pritzker family trust and its literally hundreds of subsidiary corporations uh, up through his death in the early 2000s and managed to save them conservatively at least over $100 million on inheritance taxes and not to mention income taxes or anything else that they uh, are required by law to pay, but I guess they haven't for the last 50 years. But I think we decided today before jumping back into Masters of Paradise, because we haven't, you know, really dug into a lot of uh, director on the Pritzkers yet, maybe we'd start with that. And maybe, you know, within this Contra episode, we're going to do a little mini history of the great American fortunes segment here to start out with the Pritzker family, because maybe some of you are still wondering who is this family? How did they become <laughs> billionaires? Like, who the fuck uh, are they? Yes, their involvement in... Well, you know, we're in the middle of reading Masters of Paradise by Alan A. Block, and we got to a certain point where we're sort of, like, getting into the meat of the matter. The Pritzker connection, like, won't come in until a little bit. But, I mean, I, for myself, just wanted to note where we left off, you know, where we had just... We were just kind of talking about... We kind of started to uh, riff a little bit about J.B. Pritzker and his, uh, surge, like, quote-unquote, surging popularity of, like, polling at, like, 2% uh, in polls <laughs> of, like, uh, likely Democratic voters as, yeah. like, people who they would support Six in the cents on uh, predicted uh, right now, you know. He has a 6% uh, shot, according to wow. the betters. So oh, yeah, hmm. I, I shouldn't well, even say that, you know, I don't want to tip people off, but you know, oh, yeah. Now. <laughs> yes. but yeah. So, you know, and we were discussing like whether, uh, what is, is so exciting about all of his policies. And we were talking about, you know, his, uh, his not support for Medicare for all, uh, which is like imaginary, uh, and chimerical has just been sort of like suggested that what if he did and how great that would be, but he never like really gave any uh, indications that direction. People were pointing to his support for a $15 minimum wage, which every single Democrat supports, including Joe Biden. I think if Joe Biden were governor, I'm sure that he would support such a thing in whatever state he was governor of, I guess Delaware it would be. Uh -huh. Um, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's something that many Democratic governors across the country have taken steps to implement or like set a timeline for. And then we started talking about something that a lot of his big fans on the sort of irony dirt bag in the irony dirt bag sphere have pointed to, which is, of course, you know, his legalization of marijuana. Obviously, like the most socialist thing that you can do. Um, very important. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. You know, I and, I have to say, I I almost even like uh you know tut tutted at you. I wouldn't say I ermed you, but yeah, I almost no, tut tutted I a little I bit. I deserved it. I deserved it a bit because I was out of the loop. And my original my point does stand because I said like what you know it would be different if he had some kind of expungement program where he was expunging weed convictions. But in fact, you know, he does. But my initial point does stand, which is that it doesn't really set him apart because every Democratic governor who has some kind of, at this point, every Democratic governor who has some kind of marijuana legalization initiative generally pairs that. They've, they've listened, they've learned, and they have some kind of expungement 
program. Some of well, them yeah, are better and, than others. I think just Massachusetts be... is like really bad. And mm-hmm. Illinois is not great. Uh, I did read one article that said like, you know, especially since the pandemic, like something like 25% of all like the expungement petitions that are filed, like ran into some kind of problem. So it's Very like not, cool. you know, this sort of grand jubilee that it might be portrayed as. Not a mass uh, party. Pritzker's you know, team. Yeah, exactly. Which I mean, honestly, um, like he probably that would probably almost be like a more efficient way to do it. Is yeah, like, it would be. And it would be better. And I'll sign it. Like basically. But no, exactly. It's kind of like what, like uh, you know, we had said that it was probably some kind of means tested like bullshit thing. It um, turns out, yep, it is. And actually, I mean. I couldn't yeah. have even predicted it. Like the fact that we yeah. talked about that the and then w- w- what you found afterwards. Yeah. And, but by the way, I just want to read like from Capital News, Illinois, like how, because I think he signed this bill in 2020, but this is how it was marketed when JB Pritzker, you know, legalized marijuana. Pritzker signs quote, most equity centric marijuana legalization bill in the nation. So it's, yeah, it was made legal in January, 2020 and his supporters, you know, this most equity centric, this legislation lives true to the promise to bring justice, equity, and opportunity throughout our state. Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton said, by including components focused on repairing the harm caused by the failed war on drugs and decades of policies that caused mass incarceration, Illinois is a national leader with a policy that's a national model. So I guess what makes JB so different is <laughs> the legalization effort made Illinois the 11th state in the U.S. to legalize marijuana, but the first to pass a comprehensive legislation package through the legislature rather than a ballot initiative. So again, very like symbolic, but the fact that like he got it passed through the legislature instead of, you know, other states where they just voted on it, like, wow, what a legislative accomplishment, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he says, uh, this is what JB had to say about it. As the first state in the nation to fully legalize adult use cannabis through the legislative process, Illinois exemplifies the best of democracy, a bipartisan <laughs> and deep commitment wow. to better lo- better the lives of all of our people, he said during the signing ceremony at the Sankofa Cultural Arts and Business Center, quote, legalizing adult use cannabis brings an important and overdue change to our state, and it's the right thing to do. Now, well, wow. That's interesting that he thinks that, right? It's interesting yes. that he thinks well, that you found yeah. something. Uh, well, you know, I was very... trying to do like a little bit of of, of self-crit, you know, because I know that he's uh, the reincarnation of Chairman Mao and everything. And I wanted to learn more about his expungement program and his, you know, the, legalizing marijuana and to sort of, yeah, do a little struggle session with myself to just make sure that I was correct with everything that I was thinking about about Pritzker and that I wasn't having any unfair negative thoughts of this working class billionaire. And in the process of that, I came across this lawsuit that has been filed by a group. What are they called? They're called uh, True Social Equity in Cannabis. Mm-hmm. Despite the name, no association with Trump's social network. Uh, you know, it's just I think they are appealing to the idea that they're like there should be real social equity in cannabis in contrast to what actually exists in Illinois right now. Uh-huh. Because according to their lawsuit, uh, a cartel of influential large companies, including a company associated with the family of Governor J.B. Pritzker, of exploiting, they accuse them of exploiting political connections to improperly dominate Illinois' marijuana marketplace. Yeah, um, this is from right. the Cook County Record, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. It's an article by Jonathan uh, Billick. On April 20th, uh, 2022. Yeah, so the complaint identifies defendants as Green Thumb Industries, the Akerna Corporation, Certera Holdings Inc., Verano Holdings Corporation, and Ildisp LLC. 
a group of companies, uh, the complaint labeled collectively as a Chicago cartel. The complaint asserts the Chicago cartel have conspired to allegedly pretend to be competitors when they have actually collectively monopolized the sale of recreational marijuana in Illinois, driving the price of marijuana to levels not seen in other states that have legalized and regulated the sale and use of recreational marijuana. <laughs> um, so, and I did see people like, you know, I looked into this a little bit further. I saw people like on Reddit saying, or, you know, even in the comments on this article saying things like, wow. That explains why uh, the price of weed is still so high here because the, you know the, it does bear itself out. It's true. Like what? Yeah. The, what were the numbers again? There was something ridiculous. Like um, uh, compared I to don't California. remember, but it's like yeah. Uh, oh, it says the complaint asserts that a pound of marijuana that sells for three hundred in California can fetch more than four thousand dollars in Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Jeez. Okay, very equitable. Yeah, amazing. Very fucking yeah, great. equitable. Equity. The complaint See, claims that the companies are all connected to the Pritzker, Wrigley, and Kovler families. The Pritzker family, including Illinois Governor Pritzker, gained their fortunes larger from the Hyatt brand of hotels, among other interests. You know, the Wrigley family from their chewing gum and candy companies, and the Kovler family from various businesses, including the Jim Beam bourbon fortune. See, there you go, alcohol. Getting into the weed you business. You were right. But, you were right. Yeah. The Koof Juice Tycoons were <laughs> they fucking getting it. in uh, on the marijuana Koof industry is to monopolize it. Yes. Uh, um, it's really fucking, that is really fucking wild. It's like a perfect illustration of what we're talking about with like a fake progressive guy from, you know, a billionaire family that is using this kind of rhetoric of like equity inclusion and the war on drugs while he's monopolizing the very thing that is like going to be you know legalized and then profiting off like like reaping super profits off of it by forming you know borderline illegal monopolies it's it's really interesting how this you know comes to light and it just serves to explain all these like some strange things like the fact that people have been complaining previously that it's really hard for you know despite all the expungement and stuff like that uh you know to try to have an equity focused uh rollout of legal weed it people have found it to be very hard to get licenses to sell weed you know, I think that a lot of like advocacy groups for people of color have complained about that, you know, that the it's usually the sort of established businesses and, uh, you know, the established uh, people who are established in other industries who are able to easily transition into, uh, you know, also dealing in cannabis, whereas people who are trying to get new licenses for businesses like have had a lot of difficulty and run into a lot of robots in Chicago and Illinois mysteriously mysteriously yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i mean mysterious and, and then, you know what, what do you I, know like and also like why is the price of weed so high and then it just turns out to be like this weird scam um, right and, by a uh, bunch of like uh, interconnected companies uh, from people who pretend that they're competing when actually they're all collaborating and conspiring to enrich each other and themselves. as a cartel and yeah you know, this even i think that just to be specific it is the akerna corporation which is uh traded on nasdaq with the symbol kern um yeah. that that is owned by the pritzker family and i think specifically mm-hmm. maybe by the pritzker group which is run by jb pritzker and his brother so you know they they have splintered off into different directions, but also how convenient that oh they're all cousins who are doing their own thing <laughs> now. They have nothing to do with each other. We'll see that come up in interesting ways later. I actually managed to. I can't even find that Chicago uh, the Cook County Journal article that you're quoting from on Google right now. That's how well it's been like SEO buried. There's a Bloomberg article, but I'm not a subscriber. I did find the actual lawsuit though. True Social Equity in Cannabis v. Akernacorp et al. 
it uh, basically, yeah, it says this case seeks to redress anti-competitive conduct involving the, quote, Chicago cartel in the state-protected cannabis market in Illinois. The Chicago cartel state-protected cannabis operation was started in 2014 as part of a partnership between Michael McLean of the Madigan Racketeering Enterprise, Terrence Gaynor of the U.S. Capitol Police, and heir to the Jim Beam fortune. Wait. Damn. Terrence, the heir to the Jim Bean fortune is a U.S. Capitol Police officer? What the fuck? Very um, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, no, no, I'm sorry. I misread that. Uh, there, no Oxford comma. Terrence Gaynor of the U.S. Capitol Police and heir to the Jim Beam fortune, Benjamin oh, Kofler. Okay. okay, but they still had – it's bizarre that they had – like a member of the U.S. Capitol Police engaged in this like weird sh- cannabis cartel in Chicago. That's still like yeah, a very weird the- connection to have. Yeah, it says former, there was an Associated Press article, former U.S. Capitol Police chief, the chief, at ease with pot industry job in 2015. He got a call from Mike wow. McLean, an old college friend and former Illinois state legislator. McLean had helped Green Thumb launch in Chicago, and he suggested Gaynor work with it to develop security measures. Interesting. So hiring somebody from like a prestigious position in like law enforcement in Washington, D.C. to like run, you know, security for a kind of borderline legal, illegal business sounds a little bit like Robert Peliquin and in Intertel, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, typical does. shit. Uh, not new on his son. Yeah, um, so Akerna is controlled by the Pritzker family. Sertera is controlled by the Wrigley family. The Pritzkers, Wrigleys, and Koblers are some of the wealthiest families in Chicago and, in fact, are some of the wealthiest families in the world. Despite <laughs> this wealth, members of these families have decided to enter the lucrative but dangerous world of marketing, licensing, distributing, and selling, mar- selling marijuana in Illinois and the United States. The Chicago cartel has successfully monopolized the Illinois-branded marijuana market. Branded cannabis is the industry term for a group of marijuana products sold in state-protected retail locations and et cetera. Yeah, it says Akerna, Green Thumb, Verano, and Sertera are nominally horizontal competitors, but in fact collude together as part of the Chicago cartel. The cartel owns and operates cultivation, manufacturing, and retail dispensary businesses vertically integrated across limited legal supply markets, including Illinois. The cartel can control prices in these markets because supply and demand can be reasonably predicted and forecast by the Chicago cartel members who share price information and collude to charge monopolist prices. Akerna, here we go, the Pritzker company, is key to this information sharing about supply, demand, and price. Akerna is a company that provides technology to Chicago cartel members to track prices, supply, and demand in these state-protected marijuana markets. Akerna also obtains licenses for sellers in state-protected markets for valuable consideration as part of its, quote, clean sweep services. Akerna, quote, competes with Green Thumb, Verano, and Certera to obtain the licenses in state-protected markets. The cartel charges supra-competitive prices for marijuana and charges the highest prices for marijuana in the United States, in Illinois. According to a member of the Chicago cartel operation, a pound of branded marijuana sells for 300 in California, but sells for over 4000 like you said, in Illinois in 2022. So... Yeah, all these companies basically are interlocked. They've worked together for years to keep marijuana prices high in Illinois, in part through sharing supply, demand, and price information via the Pritzker company, Akerna. So, I mean, there you go. That's like a modern illustration right up to fucking today. Of course, 
um, maybe the lawyers, maybe, you know, Bert Cantor's acolytes who still represent the Pritzkers would say that's not proven. It's a scurrilous lawsuit. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, in it fact, did. it got uh, mysteriously dropped for no reason recently. Oh, interesting. Uh, hmm. Yeah, for no stated reason. Uh, like just at, three days ago, as of this uh, recording, the. Wow. Really? Yeah, July 22nd, the organization accusing Verano Holdings Corp and other large cannabis companies, including to monopolize the Illinois market, has ended its federal lawsuit, at least for now, according to a one-page filing submitted to the court. True Social Equity and Cannabis, a Chicago-based group critical of the state's licensing policies and execution, voluntarily dismisses the lawsuit roughly two months after submitting the complaint alleging that Verano Green Thumb Industries, Sutera Holdings, Inc., and Akarna Corp were violating antitrust laws. Uh, huh. U.S. District Drug Mary M. Rowland signed off on the request on Friday. This article is paywalled, but the last thing that it says is the notice does not say why the organization. So I assume they is no stated reason. I wonder. Huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if they had. But some... there's a lot of things you could do to encourage that to happen. Yeah, um, it, it could not not to cast any um, aspersions on that that uh, equity and cannabis group. I mean, I think they did us all service by filing yes, that lawsuit. But delight. yeah, I, I would really out. love to know what made them change their mind so suddenly. Yeah, maybe socialists for Pritzker reached out to them and like, dude, come on, he's a big dude. boy. He whips ass. Yeah, like, stop. exactly. You know? And they're he like, explains. oh, you're right. He is yeah, the best person that could beat Trump in 2024. True. Yeah, yeah. Well, but. I think it illustrates also something very, uh, an essential truth about the Pritzker family. Because I think after reading that, and of course in Masters of Paradise, it alludes many times and it does trace the personal connections between like organized crime associates and the Pritzker family and the overlapping associates, people like Burton Cantor and others that all were kind of swimming in the same milieu. But it did make me kind of wonder you know, where did the Pritzkers fucking come from? Like, because uh, one thing I noticed just reading a little bit about them in the last month is that they came relatively late to the game, almost like the Gettys in a way where, you know, the Gettys really didn't blow up until they owned all that oil in like the early 20th century. And then they rocketed overnight to being like one of the wealthiest American families. The Pritzkers are kind of similar to that in that, you know, they only bought their first hotel the Los Angeles uh, LAX Hyatt in, I think, 1957. Now, they had already been successful business people in Chicago up to that point, but their trajectory from like 1957 to today is pretty fucking staggering. Like they turned a small to medium-sized American fortune into an extremely vast American fortune and one that kind of put its tendrils into, as we've you know, just said today, like now into politics, into sponsoring, you know, philanthropy and the arts and foreign policy, certain, you know, think tanks in Washington uh, and foundations, you know, get funded by them and all kinds of shit. So, you know, where did they start? And then I was kind of going on a very labyrinthine kind of uh, research thing last night. And I found this book, which definitely I think we could do an entire kind of solo episode on but for the purposes of today's episode all i did was control f pritzker in it and (laughs) it popped up like 60 or 70 hits and so this book is called super mob by gus russo which came out in 2006 and it's really the main focus of it is the mysterious lawyer Sidney korshak who i think we might we might have brought up before in kind of like weird scenes adjacent uh, kind of stuff 
that we've researched. You know, mm-hmm. he was a very powerful Los Angeles-based attorney that originally was from Chicago. And he was always seen as kind of like the ultimate fixer and the ultimate kind of mob lawyer that kind of was always doing things behind the scenes. He has weird connections, I think, to like Robert Evans. I think we talked about that, you know, the famous producer in the 70s. I think like Korshak almost like selected him as like his guy in Hollywood. So it it could bring up all kinds of weird thorny things about like the Godfather and like the new Hollywood mm-hmm. era and all the things we've talked about so far with like the the Cindy the the Lansky syndicates kind of infiltration and really like intermingling with Hollywood going way back even to like the 30s 40s and 50s and all that shit. So this book is like primarily about Korshak but it's also about the milieu that he came out of and the kind of network that he fronted for his entire career in the 20th century and it turns out that one of the main kind of uh, figures in this kind of broader network from Chicago that Korshak was kind of working with was the Pritzker family way back you know from the beginning and so this book I'm just going to maybe go through a couple things that are in it to provide us some background and like history on the trajectory of the Pritzker fortune and how did they make all that money, you know, because I think Mm -hmm. I I thought, you know, just going through it, control effing that maybe I would find some Gustavus Myers kind of shit. And boy, did I ever, in fact, I found a lot of wild shit. I will try to not like, take too much time on it (laughs) but it's gonna underline like who the fucking pritzker family is even before castle bank and all that stuff in the 70s and you know not even to talk about anything they're doing today but like the origins of their fortune it turns out kind of exist at this perfect nexus point between the respectable overworld and the dirty underworld of american capitalism for access to the full-length episode, subscribe to the Hour of Frequency at patreon.com slash subliminal jihad. Rod Blagojevich, FBI Wiretap. I hear that Madigan is pushing labor to try to push the Obama administration to put him in somewhere so they can clear the field for leasing. So is that interesting? Yeah, Madigan's dropping dimes on him because Resco is connected to the Broadway bank and the feds are looking at his bank. It's all Madigan, how he operates. Oh, wow. So he's trying to, he's trying to get Lisa clear feet. I see. 
So let me just throw some odd idea. Uh-huh. If it were true, what I heard, yeah. the, you know, if it were real. It could be. I mean, I'm just thinking that uh, I'll give you my read on it. Well, I heard, yeah, I, what I heard was somebody who's close to um, Alexi. Oh, hold on, Jamie. Hang on one second. Hang on. Hey, go ahead. Um, I actually am calling you about, I think you appoint his replacement, don't you? Oh, interesting. Let's think about that. You interested that's in that? Cool. Yeah, that's what I would want. Now, here's how about this scenario. It makes a lot of sense. Listen, you uh, extremely open-minded. But don't rule yourself out completely on that sentence. That may not be. Well, well I, I, you ought to see this list, huh? I'm sure you got, yeah. I've got a lot of factors to consider. I have to factor, you know, what do I want to do? Where am I going? You know, and, uh, you know, at some point I've got to support, you know, provide for my family. In a perfect world, provide for your family, do good, keep some sort of viability, and get back in the game at some point. If there's any opportunity, but not at this level. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Um, if the Senate thing ever happened for you, my strong recommendation would be you got to do it and say you're running. But you know, putting a guy like you there for just two years. I don't know. I mean, the, it, thinking about the political problem. And, you, you know, the only way to make the political problem go away in that scenario would be, I, I, that I can think of, is to say, he's not running for election, which doesn't do anybody any good, so it's probably not a good scenario. Uh, the treasurer thinks it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, oh, you did, oh, you did, this is a good option. Keep going, talk to me. Sure, if putting a business person in and a business person's job, yep. I, I think I would be able to get people like Bill Brodsky at the CBOE and people like Terry Duffy at the... You know, at the, at the Merck to, you know, to sort of stand up independently and say, you know, we're putting, you know, we're, we're suggesting to the governor that this is a good idea. Um, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, listen, I think it's exciting. I haven't called either one of those guys to ask them to do that. That's a brand new idea here. But I throw that out at you. And finally, look, even if none of those things make sense for you, I'd love to help you um, in any way I can, you know, with any decision making you decide to you know that you're going to get involved in um you know i i for whatever it's worth you know some of the players i know um and uh, i would be happy to act as a, a little bit as an intermediary with the people that you don't want to have it or the people you do want to have it or whatever so i just offer myself and my service to you okay but what do you do with your meat okay and you know i don't give a what the media say I really believe we've done great things for people in Illinois. This Obama ran on my record, okay? He said he bought health care to kids. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He voted for it. You know, he's talking about a you know, capital bill extending health care for working families. We said 700,000 people have gotten it. He's talking about not raising taxes on The only reason to do it is if he'll appoint you to something. Well, but listen, well, I guess that's, an, yeah, you know, but he and I were toned up. Probably like to keep, you know, that's another part of thing that's so galling. No one will probably longer than me. But what if, and I'm telling you, this could happen, because I know how Madigan is. He says, I'll give you health care, it's a capital bill. Okay? I'll balance the what works with you to balance the budget the way you want to do it. I raise taxes on people. You make Lisa the senator. Okay? Mm-hmm. That, I, that puts me in a moral dilemma. Because of all of the prospective candidates, what dealing with her, suing us to fucking support Bush kicking 35,000 poor people off of health care. Yeah, I know. You know all that but you do it. You should do it. I take that. Morally repugnant. I probably have to do it. I do it. I do it. Okay, and then there's an AG I can appoint, JB. Doing the right thing for the people. Are you a lawyer? Yeah. There's an AG that I appoint. Oh, that's it. You see what I'm saying? Oh, there you go. I mean, don't rule that one out. Okay. 
I mean, I'm not promising. I'm just saying these are all scenarios. What? A lot of things to think about. I, let's continue the conversation other time because i got to run into this. But, but, Rod, I really, you know, and, and look, I don't want to seem like I'm, you know, out here looking for a job. I, 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 I honestly, I'd like to help you, and, and I also think there's probably a, you know, something I might be able to do, but the treasurer thing actually seems totally logical to me. It's not harmful to you. If he ends up going there, I'll call you right away, and we'll talk about it seriously and get focused. All right, man. But there's other options. Don't rule them out. I mean, I'm not promising anything, but you're, in my mind, you're there somewhere. Well, you're kind. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. I'll see you. All right, bye.